Thanks for tuning back in to Spoonful of Sugar. Today, we're really excited to have Anisha Reddy join us again to host a second episode on the physiology of bilirubin and related disorders. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Anisha Reddy. I'm an MS4 at Drexel College of Medicine, and I'll be your host today. I'm back again to discuss an important topic commonly tested on boards and seen on the PEDS, internal medicine, and surgery shelf exams. We will be talking about bilirubin today. And this podcast will be introduced in a Q&A format. So feel free to pause the podcast at any point and answer the questions as we go. First, let's review the physiology of bilirubin production and excretion. So bilirubin is derived from what? That would be 80% of bilirubin is derived from hemoglobin to a red blood cell breakdown, and the rest come from myoglobin breakdown and liver enzymes. What organ is hemoglobin converted to bilirubin in? That would be the spleen, and it's formed unconjugated bilirubin that circulates in the plasma, and it forms a bilirubin albumin complex. What organ is the bilirubin albumin complex taken up by? That would be the liver. In the liver, bilirubin dissociates from albumin and the bilirubin is conjugated by what enzyme? That would be UDP transferase. The UDP transferase enzyme conjugates indirect bilirubin, otherwise known as unconjugated bilirubin, to direct bilirubin, otherwise known as conjugated bilirubin. So let's think about direct bilirubin and the bile flow out of the liver. What is the pathway? So you have direct bilirubin that travels from the bile canalically into the intrahepatic ducts, then to the extrahepatic bile ducts, and then it squirts out of the sphincter of ODI and helps to emulsify fat, and some is reabsorbed in the terminal ileum. So, where is bile produced? That would be the liver. And where is bile stored? That would be the gallbladder. So, knowing this physiology behind bilirubin, if you see a defect before hepatic uptake, you'll see a buildup of what type of bilirubin? That would be unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia. And if you see a defect after hepatic uptake, that would be conjugated hyperbilirubinemia. So now let's talk about the different clinical manifestations of unconjugated versus conjugated hyperbilirubinemia. So if you have a buildup of unconjugated bilirubin, what would be the clinical manifestations? You would see jaundice, which is yellow discoloration of the skin, mucous membranes, and sclera in your eyes. Additionally, you would see Right? Indirect bilirubin is lipid-soluble, 
Therefore, the unbound form can cross the blood-brain barrier and cause cernicterus. So you'll have deposits in the basal ganglia that can cause neurological damage, known as cernicterus. And remember, when you have unconjugated bilirubin, high amounts, otherwise known as indirect bilirubin, you'll see that your urine would be negative for bilirubin. All right, let's compare and contrast that to conjugated hyperbilirubinemia. So again, you would see jaundice. Additionally, in conjugated bilirubin, like high amounts of it, you would see that excess amounts can be excreted in the urine, making the urine look darker in color. Additionally, stools will be pale, and conjugated bilirubin is usually a non-toxic form. So it's usually water-soluble, so it can be excreted well into the urine. And therefore, conjugated bilirubin cannot cross the blood-brain barrier, so you're not going to see those side effects such as cernicterus with someone who has increased conjugated bilirubin. And your urine will be positive for bilirubin. So to summarize, what are the characteristics of unconjugated versus conjugated? Unconjugated, lipid-soluble, can cross the blood-brain barrier if it's in the unbound form, so not bound to albumin, not urinary excreted, and can cause cernicterus. While conjugated is water-soluble, cannot cross blood-brain barrier, is renally excreted, does not cause cernicterus. So remember those differences when you get when you get different patient scenarios that highlight the differences between unconjugated and conjugated bilirubin. So let's think about some of the causes of elevated indirect bilirubin. This would be the bilirubin that's produced before it gets conjugated in the liver. So what would be some examples? One, anything that causes excessive production of bilirubin. And can you think of something that causes increased amounts of bilirubin? That would be when you have higher breakdowns or red blood cells, your hemoglobin. And any causes that cause hemolytic anemia. So what are some causes of hemolytic anemia? Remember, sickle cell anemia. Your sickle cells easily hemolyze. You're breaking down your red blood cells increased bilirubin forms from the breakdown. Then things like hereditary spherocytosis, you have problems with spectrin or ancrin, and you don't have enough red blood cell membrane, so your red blood cells break down. Also remember your mechanical causes. So if someone had a mechanical cardiac valve that was replaced, these valves can shear your red blood cells, causing them to break down more and increase bilirubin. So this would be your prehepatic causes. Anything that increases the breakdown of hemoglobin, such as hemolytic anemia causing increased bilirubin. So what's another cause of elevated indirect bilirubin? So if you have reduced hepatic uptake of bilirubin, so you can think of intrahepatic causes, such as diffuse liver disease. So think about things like hepatitis, cirrhosis, 
your liver diseases. And then a third cause of increase in direct bilirubin would be impaired conjugation. So what was the conjugation enzyme? That was the UDP transferase enzyme. Okay, so if there's a problem with that enzyme, and usually it's a genetic cause that is causing an impaired conjugation. What are some diseases that cause impaired conjugation of bilirubin? First, let's think about Gilbert syndrome. It's an autosomal dominant condition where there's decreased hepatic UDP glucuronal transferase activity. So that enzyme has decreased activity, so you're not having as much conversion of indirect bilirubin to direct bilirubin. Gilbert syndrome is mostly asymptomatic. However, it can be exacerbated by fasting, so crash diets, fever, alcohol, and infection. And occasionally mild jaundice will be present. If you see a vignette that says, for example, there's a 17-year-old male that recently had an infection or is on a certain diet and has intermittent jaundice when he has those exacerbating factors, think of Gilbert syndrome. Another cause of impaired conjugation of bilirubin leading to the buildup of indirect bilirubin would be Krigler and Najjar syndrome. There are two types. So type 1 is the complete absence of UDP glucuronal transferase in hepatic tissues. That leads to severe unconjugated hyperbilirubinemia. And that often results in kernicterus, affecting the basal ganglia and damage at birth. So the type 2 of Krigler-Najjar syndrome is reduced UDP. So it's not as severe as type 1. You still make some UDP so you can convert from unconjugated to conjugated bilirubin. So now let's talk about impaired conjugation of bilirubin in newborns. So can you think of some examples? Right, so physiologic jaundice of the newborn can cause impaired conjugation, and you'll see increased indirect bilirubin. And why is that? That's because when you have a newborn, they have immaturity of the conjugation system. Usually onset is after 72 hours after birth, and you have very high hematocrit at birth, leading to a higher volume of red blood cells. When the baby is born, they have more oxygen, and they don't need as many red blood cells trying to get rid of their fetal hemoglobin. All these red blood cells need to be removed, and the UDP glucuronal transferase has not yet well developed in the baby, leading to bilirubinemia. Can you think of ways that newborns would have increased indirect bilirubin from hemolysis? That would be if they have isoimmunization, such as RH disease, ABO incompatibility, or if they have hemorrhage. Let's say they had increased hemolysis or isoimmunization and their total bilirubin is greater than 10 to 15. What therapy can you consider? That would be blue light phototherapy that can be used as a treatment option. And what does blue light therapy do? It helps convert the unconjugated bilirubin to a conjugate form. 
and that conjugate form is water-soluble bilirubin, and therefore, as blue light phototherapy is able to convert indirect bilirubin to direct bilirubin, you no longer have a buildup of indirect bilirubin that would be able to cause chronicterus. Then, the conjugated bilirubin can be excreted in the urine and does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So what if the total bilirubin is greater than 20? What type of therapy would you consider then? That would be exchange perfusion that can be performed to reduce the risk of chronicterus. Now to throw in more causes of jaundice in newborns that arise from indirect bilirubin, let's talk about breastfeeding jaundice versus breast milk jaundice. So what is breastfeeding jaundice? Breastfeeding jaundice is a quantity issue, so a newborn is not getting enough feeds. For example, a baby is fed every six hours instead of the recommended time interval of every three to four hours. That means they're not getting enough breast milk. Without sufficient volume, bowels don't move fast enough and the body reabsorbs bilirubin and the bilirubin builds up. Therefore, breastfeeding jaundice can develop within the first week of life. So can you think of the treatment for breastfeeding jaundice? That would be increasing the number of feeds. On the other hand, what is breast milk jaundice? It usually occurs after 10 days of life, and the pathophysiology is not completely understood, but to my knowledge, the breast milk itself could have an effect on UDP, glucuronal transferase, so the breast milk can inhibit the enzyme, affecting the conjugation. So what would be the treatment for breast milk jaundice? That would be supplementing the breast milk with formula feeds. So now that we've talked about causes of increased unconjugated bilirubin, Let's discuss the causes of conjugated hyperbilirubinemia. So can you think of some causes? So one, anything that decreases intrahepatic excretion of bilirubin. And two, extrahepatic biliary obstruction. Now what are some examples of decreased intrahepatic excretion of bilirubin? So that would be hepatocellular disease, inherited disorders, primary biliary cholangitis, and primary sclerosing cholangitis. So now going back, let's talk about hepatocellular diseases that can impair the excretion of bilirubin. So for example, anything like viral or alcoholic hepatitis cirrhosis. So additionally, inherited disorders such as Dubin-Johnson and Rotor syndrome can lead to decreased intrahepatic excretion of bilirubin. So can you tell me more about Dubin-Johnson and Rotor syndrome? So usually these syndromes are formed because of a mutation of a transporter, the MRP1, transporter that moves bilirubin from the bile canalically to the biliary tree. So because of that mutation, there's impaired excretion of bilirubin. 
What are the clinical manifestations? Usually both Dubin-Johnson and Rotor syndrome are both asymptomatic. And how do you differentiate between the two? Usually that's done by core biopsy of the liver. Remember, Dubin-Johnson will have a black color to the liver and Rotor syndrome will not have a color to the liver when biopsied. Additionally, primary biliary cholangitis and primary sclerosing cholangitis can lead to decreased intrahepatic excretion of bilirubin, leading to a buildup in direct bilirubin. So what are the characteristics of primary biliary cholangitis? Usually you'll see it in middle-aged women with pruritus and jaundice. The intrahepatic bile duct is affected. What antibodies are associated with PBC? That would be anti-mitochondrial antibodies. And what's a possible treatment for PBC? Could use a medication called ursodiol. Ursodiol is a natural bile acid that helps move bile out of your liver into your small intestine. In what patient population would you see primary sclerosing cholangitis? That's usually in middle-aged males with a history of ulcerative colitis. In PSC, both the intra- and extrahepatic bile ducts are affected, and you would see that PSC is associated with P-ANCA-positive antibodies. How would you diagnose PSC? That can be done with something called an MRCP, which stands for Magnetic Resonance Cholangiopancreatography. And that can be used to visualize the ducts and what type of pattern would you see on the bile ducts if you use MRCP. So the buzzword will be bead on a string pattern. We now talked about decreased intrahepatic excretion of bilirubin and the causes that lead to elevated conjugated bilirubin. Now let's talk about causes of extrahepatic biliary obstruction leading to elevated direct bilirubin. So what are some causes that come to mind? So some of the examples would be gallstones, which can obstruct the biliary or extrahepatic ducts, carcinoma of the head of the pancreas, and also think about cholangiocarcinoma, any periampulary tumors, extrahepatic biliary atresia. We'll talk more about biliary diseases in a future podcast, so I'll save going into the descriptions of each disease for another podcast, so stay tuned for the release of that podcast. In newborns, if you see an increased direct bilirubin, what are you worried about? That would be biliary atresia, which is a blockage or fibrosis in the ducts that carry bile from the liver to the gallbladder. This congenital condition occurs when the bile ducts inside or outside the liver do not develop normally. 
and it is not known why the biliary system fails to develop normally. Another cause of obstructive jaundice in neonates and young infants would be what? That's colidocal cyst, which is a dilation of the biliary tract due to a congenital anomaly of the bile duct. It is usually present prior to the age of two years and can be antenatally diagnosed. Both biliary atresia and colidocal cysts can be diagnosed using what? That would be a right upper quadrant ultrasound. And what's the treatment for biliary atresia? Usually it's recommended for children to go through a Kasai procedure. And although most patients who undergo surgery before 60 days of age show good bile excretion, ultimately many of them develop cirrhosis and liver failure. On the other hand, patients with a colidocal cyst have good outcomes with early surgical management. Now to wrap up this podcast, let's talk about how you diagnose diseases that cause indirect versus direct hyperbilirubinemia, different labs you can use to kind of tell the difference or imaging that you can use. Now, first, let's do some blood work on these patients. Now think about it. What would be some labs that you would want to order? Right, a complete metabolic panel, also known as CMP, and that includes your total bilirubin, and also you can draw a direct bilirubin amount. And now that you have your value for total bilirubin and your value for direct bilirubin, you can take the total bilirubin number minus the direct bilirubin, and that gives you the amount of indirect bilirubin present in the blood. Based on these values, you can determine if increased total bilirubin is due to unconjugated versus conjugated bilirubin based on what's more elevated in your blood. Is that more direct bilirubin or indirect bilirubin? And usually you're worried about an hyperbilirubinemia when your total bilirubin is greater than 2. What other labs would be relevant to order? Yes, a CBC, known as a complete blood count, would be important. And what marker would you look at? So the hemoglobin level would be really helpful because that will tell you if you have an anemia And if you have an anemia, you can start thinking, okay, is it possibly a hemolytic anemia going on, causing elevated indirect bilirubin? But to figure that out, what are some hemolysis labs that you would want to order? You can order a haptoglobin. And would that be low or high if someone had hemolysis? Would be low. Could also order an LDH. And that would be high. You can also order a reticulocyte count, which could be normal to high, indicating increased drive for immature red blood cells to form and mature, since hemolysis leads to excessive breakdown of red blood cells, so you you need that drive to create more. You could also order a peripheral smear, take a look at the cells, and if you see schistocytes, on the smear kind of leads you to think that some sort of hemolytic process is going on 
may be leading to an elevated indirect bilirubin. Now thinking more about the CMP and the complete metabolic panel we talked about earlier, you can look at liver function tests. So that would be your AST to ALT. You also get your alkaline phosphatase on your CMP. An elevated AST and ALT and normal to mildly elevated ALKFOS would indicate an intrahepatic cause, such as a liver disease or hepatitis. And then if you had an elevated alkaline phosphatase, what would that indicate? It would show maybe there's an obstruction to the bowel flow. If levels are very high with your alkaline phosphatase, about tenfold increase. Think about extrahepatic biliary tract obstruction. Remember things like gallstones, cholangiocarcinoma. Um, if there's a tumor at the head of the pancreas, things like that, causing obstruction in your biliary ducts. Or intrahepatic cholestasis, such as PBC. As you probably remember, ALKFOS is not specific to biliary and liver pathology. It can also be elevated in bone diseases such as Paget's disease. So if you want to figure out if your ALKFOS is elevated because of a biliary pathology or a bone pathology, what's another lab test you could order to kind of differentiate the two? That would be GGT which can confirm that ALKFOS elevation is of hepatic origin. Now, what is the first-line imaging modality to assess for biliary tract obstruction? That would be a right upper quadrant ultrasound. You can usually visualize the obstruction on ultrasound. And there are other imaging techniques for biliary obstruction, which I'll go over in the next podcast about biliary diseases. Additionally, a CT abdomen pelvis without contrast can be used to visualize the liver and gallbladder obstructions. So if you also have that as an imaging technique, can also be used. But usually the right upper quadrant ultrasound is the first line. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Hope you have a better understanding of bilirubin and diseases that can lead to a hyperbilirubinemia. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying and remember if that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Thank you.